If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone, to a beautiful Wednesday. At least it is here in Memphis, Tennessee. Well, I tell you what, every, every Wednesday, we've, we've had some good Wednesdays here weather-wise. Joined in the studio here with my wife, Kira, and yeah. also with master trainer, Joshua Huffmaster. How's it going? I, always going good, man. Every day above ground is a good day. So it's a, it's a good day. <laughs> you have low expectations. <laughs> Amen. Low hey, last week, we talked a little bit about getting a puppy. If you, we always advise, don't, don't dare. Get someone a puppy for Christmas if it's a surprise. If it's been well thought out and you've researched it, that's what last week was about. If you decided to move forward and getting the puppy, here's how you do it and do it right and stack the deck in your favor. Uh, so now this week, we're going to talk about, all right, you did all that. You did your research and you're going to get the puppy and I don't know what day it's going to be on, but you decided I want a new puppy in my life. Now, how do I transition that puppy into my home? Uh, I love the Russian author, Leo Tolstoy. I, I just do. I've read most of his books, um, a man definitely ahead of his times. But one of my favorite quotes from him is, true life is lived when tiny changes occur. You know, we say that all the time here. We talk about if you want to get from point A to point B, and point B is way across that lake, you really don't think you can make it over there. But there's a bunch of lily pads you can step on along the way, then it, it seems more possible. I'm a huge fan of keep it simple, stupid rule. I'm a huge fan of tiny changes, multiple tiny changes, but nothing so big and so dramatic that's just not possible to do and do right. Well, bringing your puppy into a home, let me tell you this right now. That's no tiny change. That is no tiny change for you. It is no tiny change for the puppy. Uh, I know that every time I brought a puppy into my life, I got super excited about doing it on one hand and then the next minute. I was super stressed. I, mean, I know we were stressed. We've gone through this just uh, twice here in about the last five years. Yeah. Yep. And it was exciting picking up the puppy. But then all of a sudden, wow, you forget what it's like to get eight hours of sleep. You know, it's wonderful, seven hours even. But now all of a sudden you have a puppy howling in the middle of the night. And you forget about uh, how quickly those little sharp teeth of theirs can shred your sofa that you've worked half a year to pay for. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. Then how much dog food cost. It piles up on you quickly. So you can become stressed by getting a puppy, but no doubt your puppy is 10 times as stressed as you are. Imagine you're just a little pup and suddenly you are plucked out of the midst of everything you've known, everyone you've known, and supplanted into an environment in which you know no one, you don't know the rules, you don't know when you're going to get fed, what you're going to get fed. You don't know when they're going to come home, when these humans come to let me out of my crate. You don't know anything. Wow, it is an incredible stressor on your puppy. And I tell you what, no matter what, you're not going to be able to avoid all of the stress. And you shouldn't. Some of the stress is very, very uh, beneficial to a young puppy. It is but some of it is incredibly harmful. And that's the point of the show today, to make sure that we avoid 
the harmful stress. Because why harmful levels of stress can have major physical and psychological consequences later in your dog's life. There's an old saying in neurobiology, the more stress you incur at an early age, the less amount of stress you can tolerate later in life. And we're talking about, again, harmful levels of stress. We were all given the biology to incur stress, deal with it, overcome it, and keep moving on with life. But there are extremely harmful levels of stress. All right, so now let's just go forward with it. We just picked up our puppy and we bring it to our home. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the stress levels uh, that your puppy incurs when it comes into your home. We're also going to talk about the transition if you happen to have dogs existing in your home already. And if you happen to have young children, maybe that's a present for them during this holiday period. Let's go over all three of these phases. First thing that happens to your pup, super stressed. Why? Novel environment. I just talked about it a little bit. Anytime we enter a novel environment, either as humans or dogs, you become stressed. Now, there are various levels. We call them stress signatures. You can go very high or you can go low. All of this depends upon, A, your own biology, your genetic makeup. Talked about that in the last episode. Uh, how can you deal with this stress? But then we have some animals and some humans are just not equipped from a biological standpoint to deal with the same, same uh, stress signatures that someone else may or some other dog may. Anytime you enter a novel environment, here it goes. Your stress response is immediately, immediately mobilized. Merely placing an animal into a novel environment will cause it to have increased arousal and vigilance as it searches out the new rules of prediction and control. And I kind of alluded to that just a little bit ago. I snap my fingers and you suddenly appear into a, a foreign country. Same thing is going to happen to you. Same thing. Where, where do I sleep? Where is my home? Where, what is this language that is being spoken? What are these gestures that are being uh, given to me? What, what do we eat? And how and when do we do it? Just think about that. Anytime we move, it's our basic fundamental needs have to be met. First, because we are stressed. Your dog is no different. You know, and this increase in arousal and vigilance leads to chronic activation of the stress response, leading to immune suppression uh, and also leading to infectious diseases as a consequence of that. And we often wonder, why do our puppies become sick so easily? Yeah, there's a whole host of reasons, meaning I haven't lived on the planet long enough to encounter all the diseases that I I will later in life, and therefore my autoimmune system is not bolstered yet, hasn't had to fight that off, so on and so forth. But the other thing that occurs is whenever your stress response reaches a certain threshold, which is not very high for a puppy in comparison to an adult dog, their autoimmune system is immediately inhibited. It's automatically degraded. Again, and I, I've mentioned this in many episodes, and for those of you who are listening for the first time or tuning in for the first time, their stress response is a wonderful thing. It was put in our bodies to be able to deal with an animal trying to kill us or something trying to kill us, or we're trying to kill it. So whether you're, if you're the wolf that's hunting the elk or you're the elk that's escaping from a wolf, both of them, their stress response is mobilized. If you work out, you go for a run, you want your stress response to be mobilized because it immediately provides energy, energy to your muscles and energy from other muscles that you're not going to need at that moment. It 
enhances your cognition at the moment. Your eyes become dilated. You could hear a soda can being opened 100 yards away from you at that moment. It's a really incredible system that has certainly, certainly been the, the cause of why so many people and so many animals have survived for, for very de deadly or traumatic type encounters um, over millions of years. But that being said, yeah, it's millions of years old. It's antiquated. It is not a, a system now that favorably meets the existing and dynamic stressors that we have on day-to-day -day life. Humans can, uh, can mobilize their stress response from a mere thought, just from a thought. You know, you're already thinking, oh, my gosh, I didn't get a present for my, for my wife. And, and, you know, and that's not personal. So I'm not <laughs> curious looking over going, say what? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't get her a present and it's not going to come in in time. And I'm really stressed about it. Yeah, you can mobilize your stress response just from a thought. But fortunately, our puppies can't. But where I'm going with this whole thing is that not only from a biological standpoint does it immediately mobilize energy, but it's for short term. This response is part of your biological response to a threat, and it thinks short term. Hey, you may not even be around here for another 30 seconds. So therefore, not a clever time to be worrying about that bacteria you just stepped on or anything that you may have inhaled from, from an aerosol type viral component. No, don't worry about it. You may not be here for more than 30 seconds, but eventually you overcome the threat, you survive it, and everything goes back to normal. You go back to homeostasis and allostasis, and everything returns back to where it's supposed to be on a biological level until it happens again and again and again. And that's what happens, unfortunately, when we bring puppies into a novel environment. It happens over and over and over again. I don't have social support from my littermates. I don't have my, I don't know the, know you people. I, I knew the breeder and maybe the breeder's family, but I don't know you. And I don't know this place. Where, where am I? These are animals who survive in territories. They survive in environments in which they were equipped to survive. And all of that is gone. It's all gone in the blink of an eye. And on top of that, they probably either took their first airplane trip which, man, imagine what that's like to a young puppy. Pitch black, dark, in a cargo hold somewhere or in the cabin or, or worse yet, put into a car in which you can actually see out the windows. Talk about vertigo. You become ill. It's just got to be a very stressful time for young dogs. Also, it, I think it's really important to mention that you're not always going to get these obvious signs that your puppy is stressed. And, and you know, we were talking about good stress and that kind of happens naturally no matter what environment the dog is in or the puppy is in. So you're not going to see these big, obvious stressor signals. I know a lot of people might be listening going, well, when I got my puppy, it was just super playful and, and it wasn't stressed at all. These stressors aren't obvious tail tuck, excessive drooling and, and whining and things like that. You're not going to see these obvious stressors. These are natural stressors. Kind of think of like a, a kid sitting down and doing a puzzle that's slightly out of their age range. I mean, it's, it's that kind of level of stress. Yeah, and those that's a good point. Those minimal levels turn into a word called pathological. And pathological means that we are mobilizing our stress response. Maybe the signature of that specific stimulus doesn't require it to go up beyond an aroused state. But nevertheless, if it keeps happening over and over again, it can cause debilitating problems to your dog, both psychologically 
and physically, from a physiological standpoint. So you always talk about how a dog's stress level mirrors the owner's stress level. So if we're stressed because the new puppy is pooping in the floor and chewing things up and things like that, is this brand new puppy going to be even more stressed because we're stressed or does it take them a little while to start to recognize our, our stress response? From what we know, and again, no one's been inside the head of a little puppy, but from all the indicators in which research has been used that as a model, we don't think that they're old enough at that point to have their stress response mirror their owners. Uh, they're sheltered by the fact that there are many things that they don't know to be afraid of just yet. Think about a young human. How many three-year-olds do you know of that are afraid to fly on an airplane? None. But I know a whole <laughs> bunch of 30-year-olds. We just got our two-year-old son to ride a bunch of rides at a theme park simply because we just walked him onto it. He had no idea that it was, it was going to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't sit there and watch it and go, Oh, that's a potential threat. That's kind of scary. When I get up there, that's going to be scary. No, he, he was just happy go lucky, got up and kind of looked around and goes, Oh wait, hold on. What's happening? And then he was fine with it. It was great. Yeah. You know, humans, dogs, slow maturing mammals. And because they're slow maturing mammals, their brain doesn't have to recognize the threat from the particular amusement park ride or from the airplane or from the approaching strange human or dog at an early age. Uh, They're supposed to be under the protective custody of their parents. So it takes them at a point in life in which, yeah, there you go, Josh. (laughs) They're supposed supposed to be able to trust their parents not to put them on a ride. (laughs) So anyway, so Josh is going to step out of the radio show, and we're going to have a little chat with him after the show today about what he does to his child. Oh, my gosh, he's upside down, and and Josh was having to hang on to him because he doesn't fit into shoulder straps. He's only going to be stronger because of it. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Way way to go with that social support there, Joshua. (laughs) But for the most part, they are young. And and fortunately, they're so young that they actually don't know what is harmful to them to a certain degree. The biggest stressors that occur are innate to begin with. For, For instance, separation from my pack. That's innate. That came from that wolf heritage. A puppy, eight weeks, 10 weeks of age, wolf cub, same age. If they become separated from their pack, there's one result, dead, dead and dead very quickly. And that's what happens to a lot of animals, whether it's ungulates or whether it's herbivores, it doesn't matter. Uh, Same thing. You become separated from the herd. You become separated from the pack. You become separated from the family. Typically, not in all cases, there are miracles, of course, but in most cases in a while, you're dead. Uh, They know this. After that, now, here we go with your amusement park ride and the airplane and so on and so forth. They learn to be afraid. They're taught to be afraid. And this is the problem which we have in which we have a mother, uh, uh, not a human mother, the dog mother, who is very fearful of humans. And again, as you approach to take a look at the puppies, we talked about this last week, and she growls, she can teach that to her puppies. Humans are something to be feared. But you brought your puppy home. And again, as Joshua mentioned, you're not always going to see these outward signs. Some signs that you may see right off the bat is lack of appetite. Again, remember, the stress response. We have to deal with that. That is our number one helper and our number one enemy by far. And more of an enemy than it is a helper uh, during this age period of your life. If you see your dog not eating, this young puppy you bring home, don't be surprised if they don't have much of an appetite to begin with. 
uh, because again, not a clever time to be digesting grass if you're an elk when the wolf is now bearing down on you. Uh, other things could be restlessness, disrupted sleep patterns, a lot of vocalization, even though you're right in front of the puppy, uh, bowel movements, uh, irregular. And they're going to be irregular already because they're a young puppy, but still you're talking one right after another. Uh, so keep an eye on those sort of things, but just know that there's going to be some innate stressors right off the bat, but as soon as they have predictive information, control, and outlets for frustration, and I'll explain those in a second, things are going to be much better. Um, and, and, you know, it's just a relative timeline. If your dog is not kind of getting over some of these symptoms, not eating irregular bowels, within two to three days, then we might have a a longer lasting issue that we're, that we're dealing with. This shouldn't be a super prolonged um, thing. It's just that initial greeting. We deal with this with almost essentially every single dog that comes in for boarding trains. We know, we tell the families when they drop off, they're probably not going to eat the first day or two. They just, they just don't. It's a new place. They're going, I, this isn't an environment for me to eat in. It takes about a day or two for them to go, oh, okay, no, this place is fine. Yeah, I can eat. You it's bet. just an acclimation yeah. period, yeah. right? That's all it is. And how long does that take? It's dependent upon the individual dog. You can bring home a brother and sister from the exact same litter and get one is absolutely comfortable within the first three days. And the other one, it's a week later before it becomes comfortable. And one thing that you guys can also make sure that we do is one thing I see with young puppies coming home, the very first minutes that the new puppy is home, the kids or, or even the adults start asking the puppy to sit and they try to start training it almost immediately and they start putting all these demands on this puppy. I always say, give it two days. Let the puppy just explore and walk around and sniff things. And if it does come up to you and wants to play, great, play with it. But I wouldn't be putting a whole lot of demands because you could actually further or lengthen that, that stress response into two, three, four days. Yeah, an another good point there because uh, that's a segue into when I was talking about learn stressors. They learn to be afraid of unfamiliar people and dogs. They learn to be afraid of certain vocal tones, gestures, thunderstorms, etc. All of these are learned. And if you start to interact too much with the puppy before it's ready, before it's receptive, before it's figured out the basic fundamental factors of survival, where do I eat? What do I eat? Where do I sleep? Who are you? Are you going to hurt me? Once they, once they know all of that, now, now they're receptive. But remember, when they first come home, again, we're talking about the first day or two, super vigilant, seeking out the rules of prediction. Number one, that is it. Think about yourself. Give it a day or two. Definitely watch your puppy. Give it time to have a nap. Let it be, leave it alone. Don't, don't let the children wear it out. Don't, not so much interaction in the very beginning. Allow the dog to initiate that because that's a sure sign that, hey, I'm starting to become more comfortable. After all, most young animals learn through exploration and mimicry. They'll start to mimic what they see. If children are running, they will start to run. If people are screaming and making a lot of loud noises, the puppy will start to become more vocal. Uh, they do the same thing. That's how they learn. What are you? What am I? So definitely give them a couple more days uh, to, to get used to being home before you do anything else. So here's what you can do to mitigate harmful stress other than what we've already talked about. Number one, 
provide social support. What is social support? It is acceptance. Again, uh, watch a wolf cub exit the den for the very first time. As soon as that happens, it is immediately pinned to the ground by the father. Pinned straight to the ground. And why does he do so? Why does he do that? You think, wow, he's trying to harm the cub. No, he's teaching his cub who he is, what his power that he holds. He, I could kill you, but I choose not to because I accept you. You are part of a social order, a pack, and there is a hierarchy within this pack. And I am the leader of it, and my will is law. So acceptance is the best social support that you can provide to both a child and to a dog is acceptance in the form that, hey, remember my two duties for you, puppy and child, two duties. Anything after that is gravy. I am here to provide you with life-sustaining energy, and I'm here to protect you from harm. How can I protect you from harm if I'm not strong enough to do so? If I'm not capable of doing that, this is another reason why I always tell people don't baby talk your puppy. It is when you go, Oh, he's so cute. He's so cute. He's a cute little puppy. puppy dog. You sound like a whining puppy. You need to be, Hey, you're a cool little dude. You know what? See that mailman that's coming? I got it. See the guy dropping all that package out there? I got it. See the string dog approaching us? Lean on me, buddy. I'll take care of it. So many times we just fall into that. And I know that's part of, and people are probably right now going, oh my gosh, seriously, did he just say that? Yeah, and don't do it to your children either. We are supposed to provide social support. And that number one way of doing that is acceptance. And then later, later, as Joshua pointed out, about a week, give it a, you know, you got to feel this thing out. You've got to watch for the puppy. If it's really excited, now starting to pounce on everyone, running amok through your house. That's obviously a comfortable puppy. Mm. It has figured out. I know where I'm going to eat. I know where I can go poop and not get in trouble from these humans. I know I can scream my head off and people will jump to and come running to me. You bet. Once they've learned that, now it's time to go, okay, guess what? We have a couple of rules around here. And those rules are boundaries and boundaries are landmines in which you can actually see the mine. So here you go. Here's predictive information that will allow you, young puppy, to control the outcome of your responses to any signal I give you to any condition in which you are placed. You can control the outcome. Wow. That's crazy. That is crazy good. This has been studied millions of times. Lab rats been studied with uh, non-human primates, been studied with humans, and now with dogs. Uh, they're the last ones to catch up here recently. But it's very important that we, that this animal feels accepted by something more powerful than what it is. Something that is quite capable of killing it, but it doesn't because it accepts it. But it could kill on its behalf. Number one, by far. And a lot of that is accomplished just by how you act around the young puppy and through training as the young puppy starts to grow. Because number, because again, if I'm walking my dog and someone is coming with their dog and my dog, and again, perception is internalized, it's unique to the individual, perceives that maybe the dog that's being walked by the other person is a threat to it. If I don't do anything, if I allow the dog to act out on its own and it goes rah, 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 and that person with their dog keep walking 
in an opposite direction. My dog will glance over the shoulder, then look at me and go, thank you very little, Brian. Uh, can you maybe help next time chip in just a little bit, pal? But see me, I made this outcome occur. I scared them off. They're leaving. Your dog doesn't have a clue that they live down that way. I have to take over as the dog's owner, see the approaching people, look down at my dog and see that it's a little bit worrisome about their approach and say, hey, I tell you what, I got this, buddy. Just keep healing or stop and sit. I got it. That's what I do. That's what wolves do. And your dog still shares all of its mitochondrial, I'm tripping over my mouth today. <laughs> I sometimes talk faster than my brain goes, or <laughs> my brain goes faster than my mouth does. Uh, over um, 98, 99.8% of your dog's mitochondrial DNA is that of the wolf. And because of that, we've said many times, you cannot separate behavior from biology. And there you go. They will immediately feel more comfortable with that situation. They will stand down and allow you to do your job. It's the job that nature says. So social support, number one by far, acceptance, achieve that. And that's also achieved through training as the young puppy ages. Number two, predictive information. When you first bring this puppy home, keep routines the same. They may not match yours. They may not. Maybe you picked up the puppy on the West Coast and you live on the East Coast. There's a three-hour time difference. Not to your puppy. No, this is when I eat. I don't care. We see this every time the mm -hmm. clocks change and you know, spring forward and fall back. doesn't matter to our dogs. This is when we eat. Keep routines the same, at least for that first couple of days or up to a week. Routines are the same. Feeding times are the same. I don't care if it doesn't fit your schedule. This is about reducing and mitigating harmful stress. Feed the same food. Part of the fun of getting a a dog is all the neat stuff that you can get. The bolster beds, the neon glow-in-the-dark collars and leashes that they have nowadays. I'm kidding, I kid you not, it's fun. We just went shopping for our dogs for their, oh no, I'm going to follow me. Okay, you, you go and say it. I can't. I, I have a reputation to maintain here. For their Christmas stockings. There you go. <laughs> okay. For their Christmas There's stockings. There's no shame in that. Who okay. So they, that? they, we got some stuff for their Christmas stocking. Anyway, uh, so that's part of the fun of it. But you may think, wow, the breeder was feeding this horrible food. I'm going to feed this great food. No, nope, no, you're not. Not for about the first week. And then when you do, you're going to slowly change over to that. Or you will learn through your own self-discovery that was a bad mistake. Your dog has been eating that same food basically since it now weaned off of mom's milk, which means it's really the only food that it knows. And it's the only food that its gut knows. And the micro, uh, microbial population in that gut, it's all they know. So case in point, you eat a turkey sandwich every day for, for years, and all of a sudden you decide, I'm going to have Mexican. Well, uh, that spicy food, we may not agree with the microbial population that's in your gut. And next thing you know, you have a, a, a real GI issue. Also the same type of bowl, even if the dog's used to eating out of a plastic bowl, use a plastic bowl, metal bowl, use a metal bowl, nap times, keep those routines the same play times, all of this information you should be able to get from the breeder. And then when you leave and when you come back, do your best to alter your schedule or arrange your schedule in such a way that you leave the home and you come back to the home at really preset times. This allows the dog to get used to the fact that, A, not the fact that now for the rest of the dog's life, you have to leave at 8 a.m. and return back at 5 p.m. 
It provides them with that initial fact that you do leave and you do return. You go and you come back. Because remember, my innate stressors are going, oh my gosh, I am by myself. I am dead. I'm dead in the doornail and within a matter of minutes. So give them that, which will then allow them to have control, control over some of their outcomes, control over their emotional state, biofeedback. They can shut it down just like we can. We can shut down our stress response. And that's why we talked a long time ago about cognitive shifting. We do it all the time. I'm lying in the dentist chair. I'm not thinking about what's happening to my tooth at that moment. I'm thinking about that hike I enjoyed, uh, climbing that mountain, going on a vacation somewhere. Yeah, I'm off to my happy place. Dogs can do the same thing. They can shift in a way in which their focus becomes on something else other than on the immediate threat. And then lastly, give your dog an outlet for frustration because there will be stress, good stress and bad stress, mitigating the bad stress. But again, notice I said not eliminate Mitigate. You can do this by taking the puppy for walks. Walks are vitally important. Walks provide predictive information. What is that sound over there? Now I know what that sound is. I've been hearing something the whole time I've been in this house. Uh, what's that smell? Hey, who else lives here? I think I smell another dog. What's going on? What's that? Uh, what's these vehicles approaching me? So on and so forth. So walks are really, really, really good. Be careful about how long of walks you take these young puppies on though. However, I mean, they, these young dogs, uh, they, they can't go on these two mile walks that you would like to eventually do with your dog. I always use the example of you have a newborn baby. You don't immediately put them into soccer class or gymnastics. You have to let them develop and, and become the, the athlete that they will eventually become, but short walks for, for right now. Yeah. And of course there's the, uh, from the biological side of uh, things, you don't want to walk your dog across a dog park uh, or anywhere where many, many dogs have already eliminated because they could have eliminated parvovirus and coccidia and a few other things. They could have shed that through their own feces. When I say go for a walk, sidewalk, sidewalk that is clean, uh, as clean as it can be clean enough. Take the dog for a short walk, play fetch. A lot of dogs love to play fetch. Young puppies, they love tug of war. So many times you hear trainers say, never play tug with your dog. It will diminish your leadership. Uh, that's junk. I couldn't disagree more. Yeah, I could not either. I could not. I get so upset when I hear that. No, play tug of war. The only thing that you may, you, again, so many of these things you'll learn, kind of like having your first baby. Uh, you learn many things during that time. Second baby comes along. You're not half as stressed. I've got predictive information. I know what these things do. I know what they smell like. I know what it's going to cost. Yeah, hey, good news, bad news, at least I know it. Same thing with your dog. If you play tug of war with your puppy with too small of a toy, <laughs> you're going to find out when you get nailed by those thousand little bitty pins in their mouth called teeth to, and eh, maybe I need to use something a little bit bigger. Uh, I like old dish towels, old towels. You can play with those and how oh, they love a good game of tug of war. And then just let them sometimes just run loose a little bit. Take them out into your backyard and just let them run. Let them explore. Yes, you want to kind of follow them a little bit, because just like you would the child. Oh, don't eat that. I, I know you don't know that. I know you're not afraid of that, but you should be afraid of that. And I'm definitely afraid of that because that's going to cost you a whole lot of money if you ingest that. There are so many things we have to do. We Just like a young child, we have to save them from themselves. All right, so that's really in, in a summary Bring your dog home, 
when it's home, give it a couple of days to explore its world a little bit. Don't immediately start teaching, sit and lay down and come to me. Even if you're going to put a leash on it, it's never had a leash on it, put it on, let it drag the leash around. If it picks it up in its mouth, make it let go of it. Let it drag the leash around only while you can supervise so they get used to that. Guarantee they're going to look over their shoulder and go, uh, there's something following me and it keeps following me. And every now and then they're going to step on it and they're going to come to a screaming halt and go, oh, I can't move. Now something has me. Yeah, dog, you're stepping on the leash. If you move your paw off the leash, you'll be able to go again. These are things that they just kind of learn. And you're there just, again, with a, think of it like a young child. I'm going to save you from yourself. I'm going to supervise things. And I'm just going to let you explore. Start hearing my voice in a real way. A real way. Hey, puppy, what you doing, man? How's it going there? Oh, look at you, girl. Look at you go. Man, you can drag that leash all over the place. I've never seen a dog drag a leash that well. Just talk to it. Let it learn your gestures. Just avoid those things for the first couple of days that could cause a high level of stress. And then slowly but surely, now start to add the good, healthy stress to it. Keep to those routines. Provide that social support, predictive information. Allow the animals to control the outcomes and give it outlets for frustration. All right. Now, I just want to spend about two minutes talking real quick about if you have other dogs. Hey, listen to this. If you bring a new puppy to your home, no physical contact with any existing dogs in your household until that existing dog in your household shows you with obvious signs that it, it has accepted your puppy. Don't even think for a second that, oh, it's just a puppy. How many times we've talked about this before, do dogs have to deal with adult little dogs, little Jack Russells, little Yorkies that think, wow, just because I'm small doesn't mean anything. Watch out, buddy. I'll give it to you. They don't think for a second that a dog will interpret a puppy as a puppy. Some do. The vast majority do not. And they will attack it. Remember, we brought Captain home and we had our German Shepherd Dax. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you this much right here, right now. If we had allowed Captain, our little Australian cattle dog puppy, who was nine weeks old, to interact with Dax, our big four-year-old German Shepherd, we'd have had a dead puppy. Absolutely. That would have happened. No physical contact. They can see one another through a gate, through a kennel, but no physical contact until they show obvious signs. And that's what Dax did. Chest on the ground, Butt up in the air, tail wagging, whining, saying, hey, can I play with the little dude? Can we just play? I just want to play with him a little bit. And now everything was perfectly fine from that point on. That'd be my number one thing when it comes to other dogs. Um, with children, Joshua hit on it. Hey, I know you're excited. You can pet the puppy while I'm holding it, or you can hold it while I'm watching you hold it. Children can drop puppies. Let a child drop a puppy. And if something doesn't break, I guarantee you one thing will, their confidence. Confidence in being picked up, being held, don't allow them to drop the puppy. Don't allow them to squeeze too hard. Sometimes they hug too hard. Um, I owned a vet hospital and we treated dogs that were hugged so hard that things broke. Don't allow them to do that. Uh, be careful about the toys that they play with them. If they take their new uh, lightsaber and they try to treat your puppy as a, 
I'm not, I'm not a big Star Wars fan or whatever, knee walk or something. I think I've heard that word before. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm right or wrong. But either way, you're not the enemy and don't swap the puppy with it. So you guys kind of get this. A lot of this is common sense. Be very careful. The puppy is a very young mammal and very impressionable. And things learned at this age are never, ever forgotten. Yeah, that's a, what I was just about to touch on is we could do a whole show on developmental stages. But do keep in mind that just a few weeks after you bring, say, an eight-week-old or a 10-week-old puppy home, it's going to go through a fear period. And what happens within that fear period is going to never be forgotten, ever, ever be forgotten. So you always have to make sure that your kids are on the best behavior and and your dog is, is being watched and protected and being given that social support that we've talked about. Yeah, you know, in those fear periods, those were put into animals and also into children to, again, remember, they learn mostly through exploration. The issue is that if you explore too far away from my protective custody, then that's where you can become harmed. Uh, hard to contain six puppies, mm -hmm. six wolf cubs. Therefore, nature puts something in those cubs that makes them want to cling to mama during the ages in which they're the most capable of walking right off a cliff, walking right into the jaws of a bear. Uh, your dogs incur these. They last about a week, sometimes up to two weeks, when, which your dog will be unusually fearful. Ride it out. Stick to the routines. Keep doing what you're doing. It, it will pass. They always pass. They're just a temporary transient fear that is put in them until they get just a little bit older and now can put a couple more things together. And you're talking with, about an animal who goes from basically birth to the equivalent of a 20 year old uh, human in about 15 months. So they, they're learning real quickly there. All right. And the only other thing I can say about with children is watch what you do as the adult. If you scream at the puppy, you yell, you do anything that it can be very that can be mimicked by your child. Maybe you're more controlled, and the child is not so controlled. Watch that children mimic their adults. So if you point a gesture, or you force the young puppy off the sofa, or you try to take something from the young puppy's mouth, don't think for a second that your children aren't going to try it as well. The problem is you may get away with it because the puppy goes, oh, Brian's big. I'll, I'll just go ahead and let go. But then the small child approaches. Uh, I think I can take him. I, I think I got this one. I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to keep that bone myself. And if that little kid reaches down here, I'm going to take a finger off. Watch out. Children will do it. be a great role model for your child. Yeah, I'm, I have lived this experience. I mean, I'm a dog trainer. So you're welcome for this information that I, you know, sometimes forget because you know, just the simple act of, you know, what I think is completely harmless of, you know, my dog up on the couch or somewhere and I just tap him on the butt and I say, all right, go off or whatever. And I think that's completely harmless. I'm not thinking twice about it. And next thing I know, my son is patting the dogs on the butt saying, go off, off. And I mean, he's two, he's just doing what he saw daddy do. And, or, or the, <laughs> the dogs start playing in the living room and from his room, you hear enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, there you go. So that you have it. introduction to other dog. Number one rule, just keep them separated until there's obvious signs that there's acceptance. And then you can now allow them to have supervised contact with one another. Same thing with children. They can pet. It just everything has to be very controlled, very uh, supervised, uh, just to make sure that accidents don't occur 
and then watch how you conduct yourself around the puppy because, again, your children are listening and they're watching. Guys, we, as Joshua said, and we probably will do that. Maybe in the new year, we'll run entire episodes on puppy development. their different age periods. So fascinating. What happens uh, during that time period. And we can just dig really deep into it, turn into a one, two-part episode, three-part, you name it. We'll get into more of that later. But in the meantime, if you have any questions about bringing a new puppy into your home that we didn't cover, send them in here to us. Send them to Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com, or if you're watching right now on Facebook Live, send it right into us here. We'll answer it. All right. Before we move on to our questions, I just want to talk about one thing real quick. If you're traveling by air during holiday season, don't be surprised if you see a lot more floppy-eared TSA dogs. Uh, they said that they're going to now start to incorporate more detection dogs. And these are explosive detection dogs and narcotics detection dogs uh, as they're going to use floppy-eared dogs. And that is to calm the travelers, to have a calming <laughs> mechanism. On the, yeah, exactly. Instead of the pointed ear dogs. Now, the first question I had to ask when I read that was, who's calm? Who's calm when they travel during the holiday season or ever? I mean, me, I'm thinking, okay, first of all, I'm stuck in a traffic jam. I'm never going to make it to the airport on time. Then I get to the airport on time. There's nowhere to park. When I finally find somewhere to park, I go rushing into the airport terminal and there's only three kiosks left. And one of those is, uh, two of those are broken and one's in Russian. And what? then I go to check in my bags and one of them is 15 pounds under the weight. The other one's three pounds over the weight, but because they're going on the same plane, I have to take the three pounds out of the one and turn the other one into 18 pounds. It like that makes a whole lot of sense. And then you finally go through all the security and screening. You go through a body scanner, in which the screener gets to look at you and see what you look like naked, even though you have clothes on, you get through all of that. They swab your palms to make sure you didn't make any bombs on your way to the airport. And then you finally arrive at gate A, four and find out that your plane got moved to D37 and you finally arrived there and your flight has been delayed or canceled. Yeah, but know what? No worries because while I'm doing that, I get to see a flop of your dog walking next to a TSA guy and that's going to lower my blood pressure right then and there. I'm going to be calm no matter hey, there, all that stuff. There is some truth to this though because the difference between when I go out in public with my shepherd, my Belgian Malinois versus when I go out there with Alpine, my hound dog, it's a completely different experience. And I don't, and unfortunately for Alpine, I don't take him anywhere anymore because people just run directly up to him and start petting him without ever asking me. And oh my gosh, they just can't help but pet his ears. And then the Belgian Malinois, people get out of my way and I just keep on going. <laughs> well, you're not supposed to touch the TSA dogs, right? I right. mean, so if they're using floppy eared dogs, everybody's going to want to touch them. Yeah, and it, they're not supposed to touch them, and it's a visual effect. And and me, I'm thinking, of course, here's me. I thought they were there to make people afraid. Please do. I mean, terrorist. Just so you know, we have pointed ear dogs. You better watch what you're doing here at this airport. I thought they were supposed to be a deterrent. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. And for me, it doesn't matter if I'm going through customs. And some dog sits right next to my suitcase. It won't matter if the ears are pointed or flop. I'm going to immediately my stress response will be mobilized because <laughs> I've had that happen. And they pull you aside politely. Hi, come with me. And that wasn't uh, a, a choice. And you go into a room and you unload your entire suitcase and, and yourself. And then they release you and let you go because the dog indicated that maybe you had something. Yeah, it's not fun. That, that has happened to me. I've been to many third world countries and you get pulled aside and you start sweating right then and there. Um, so anyway, when you see a floppy deer dog, don't pet it, but be calm. 
stay calm. Don't worry about it. If you're traveling, it's going to make me feel a whole lot better. Hope that the dog doesn't decide to stop and take a break right next to your luggage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely hope so. Okay, let's get on to a couple of questions, Kira. We've got some great questions this week, as always. We have one from Ruth who says, I have a 90-pound male Doberman that is a beast on the leash. My trainer told me not to use a no-pull harness. Good advice. And gave me a special collar that constricts when he pulls. Well, now he is still pulling and choking himself at the same time. Number one, why does he continue to pull so hard if he can't breathe? And number two, how do I make him stop? It's really embarrassing. And honestly, I'm afraid he will go unconscious. Well, why does he keep pulling because he can't breathe? Because he can breathe. It's obvious. Kind of like if you're choking. First thing they look for before they intervene, do we have air exchange? If you're wheezing, I'm not going to touch you. If you're not doing any wheezing, I'm going to touch you. Dogs are no different. They can operate at oxygen debit levels that we couldn't even come close to. You take some of these conditioned dogs, uh, these Siberian Huskies, these Bishlas and Weimaraners, Man, if humans had their lung and their oxygen debit capability and that of a wolf, oh, marathons would be run in an hour, let alone twice that time. They can do it, and they do do it because they can. The issue here is this. Yes, you may have been given a proper collar to use, but it just wasn't to be used by itself. That was to allow you to give input that would be effective and act as a deterrent for dog pulling. Dogs are horizontally built creatures. You're vertical. When they start to pull, they can pull very effectively and pull over four times their body weight like it's nothing. You must now use that collar and apply a pressure or a correction in the perpendicular direction. So if the dog is pulling north and south, you have to give a yank or a correction on that leash running east or west. By doing that, you immediately affect the center gravity point on the dog's body, which is right at the nape of its neck, right at the base of the neck and the shoulder blades, and you make it go off course. It is now off balance. And by doing that a few times, a dog will learn through its self-discovery that, hey, when I start to feel this pressure on my neck, and they do, dogs learn by sight first, touch second, haptic single second. They can feel that pressure that when that occurs, there's an effect to it, cause and effect. Boom, immediately I'm pulled off balance. I fall off balance a little bit and I'm corrected and I fall back next to the human and I'm rewarded, bingo. So yes, I've seen dogs and heard dogs pull that sounded like a train going down the sidewalk. He, 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 eyes bloodshot, you name it, bulging out of their head and they're having the best walk they could possibly <laughs> ever have in their life. They are dragging you. You will take me to the dog park and you will like it. It's only another two more miles. Keep up with me. Let's go cuzzle here. Uh, yeah, they will. You, this is natural. Plus dogs always fall because that wolf instinct. They travel in a single file line. That is innate. It is innate to go in a single file line. I haven't seen any six lane highways out there in the wild yet, at least not yet. They travel a single file line for protection and for terrain, travel reasons, logistic reasons. They're going to fall into that pattern regardless of what you do as a human. And they're going to move out front, but that doesn't work out so well. Your, your constriction collar, more than likely a slip collar, is effective if you give it a, a, a jerk to the right 
if the dog's on your left side or to the left if they're on your right side. And it's a momentary jerk. And that should simulate me being grabbed firmly, quickly by my neck. And that's innate as well. When wolf controls wolf, they grab their necks. Why do I grab your neck? Strongest part on your body. And if I'm grabbing you, you're a family member. You're not an import. You didn't immigrate into this pack. Uh, I'm grabbing you by your neck because I don't want to harm you, but I do need to make a point. And also, just in case you're feeling it today, if I grab you by your neck, you can't grab me. Uh, so again, if you're going to use a construction collar like that, it's not meant to slowly choke your dog till it fixates and passes out. That's just really not going to happen. It can happen on occasion, I guess, but I've never witnessed it. They're just going to keep yanking and they'll build up their tolerance of yanking even more and operating at less oxygen, just like a conditioned runner. So give that thing a, a good yank either way, but not back. That, I know that sounds counterintuitive, but when you pull back, you're going with your dog's power the way nature designed it. And you're simply going to make the dog a more effective puller. Yeah. I mean, it, it basically comes down to the fact that the reason your dog is still pulling is because it works. Period. I mean, it, yep. it's working. He pulls, he then goes forward. Yep. Period. He's and accomplishing his goal. Yeah. And that, that slip collar is simply just there to allow you to teach him that pulling doesn't work. It doesn't get you to go in the direction you want to go. Yeah, guys, I touched on this just a little bit in a blog that I wrote last year, and it's titled The Master Teacher, and I think Josh is putting it up on the screen now. Uh, you can find it on our website. Just go to the blog section of our website. The Master Teacher, the thing called life. I've always said that the life is the master teacher. Sometimes the fees are pretty high. Sometimes you can't afford them. But for the most part, it's simply known as cause and effect. Josh is absolutely right. They're pulling because they can, and they're achieving some objective. They are being reinforced for doing this. You have to go against the grain. Sometimes you have to force a change. And this is one of those where you have to force the change. All right, Kira, I think I'm ready for another one. We have a question from Charlotte who says, my trainer told me that using treats is the best and most effective way to train my dog. I feel like I'm just bribing him to do what I want him to do. He'll sit long enough to get the treat, then he's gone. How is this supposed to work? <laughs> All righty. Well, anytime you train an animal or a human, you need to focus on three points, attention, motivation, and cognition. Get their attention, motivate them to learn, and are they capable of learning this at this given point in their life? Now, the treat serves as the motivation and sometimes the, the attention uh, building part of whatever training you're doing. Uh, but are you just bribing him to do something? Not in that sense. You, you just train him to do so. Meaning I say, sit, you sit, I give treat. And then you wander off and I think, okay, that's fine. At least you sat for the treat. Uh, don't the, there's an issue out there in life called competing motivators. And again, why we don't believe in just using treats by themselves. Yes, you can use them as an adjuvant. You add it to your program. It's there to be part of a reward. There are so many dogs, if I touch them, they lose it. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, touch me again, touch me again, touch me again. Uh, the treat is there to keep them focused, keep them their attention, stay focused. I don't want you to rise too high up in your stress level. Stay with me, dog. Uh, so I love using treats. It's just that I'm not going to ever train a dog outside of the age of about 15 weeks, anything younger than that, you lure them using treats. But beyond that point there, 
the treat is given sometimes, I call it a variable reinforcer, after you've done the behavior that you're commanded to do. Yeah, and one tip is also that you, to a certain degree, can look at it as bribing if you are showing the dog the treat, then asking for the behavior. Yeah, you got the dog's attention. Now they're motivated to do it. Now they're going to do it. Now you give them the reward. You want to get away from that as soon as possible. I mean, just as stinking soon as possible. So using that food as a lure in the beginning works great. Once the dog is able to be tricked with a, a hand signal that resembles that lure in some way and performs the behavior, then you reach for the treat and give them the treat. And, and then you can start to get to the point to where now the treats are hidden until the behavior is performed. And then the dog starts to become convinced that treats appear because I, I you know, adhere to a command or, or complied to a command versus, oh, I see a treat. Now it's time to comply to commands. Yeah, good point. You know, and I, I actually like it sometimes when we train dogs who could care less about the treat. They just don't want it. They don't like the treat. They don't want the treat or they are so stressed that I don't want to eat anything right this moment. It forces you to now move into other realms and you, and you learn from that, that you can indeed train the dog without treats. Mm -hmm. You really, really can. So don't use them as a crutch. Use it as a reward after they've done the behavior. And then all that bribing and stuff that looks like that will, will, will not happen. It'll go away. Okay. I think we have time for a short one, real short one. Are you sure? Okay. This one's from Liam. My dad always trained our dogs so that they were very obedient. He told me that in order to do that, I need to be the alpha in my relationship with my dog. My trainer told me that's a myth and there's no science to back up the alpha theory. Is that true? How do I make sure she knows I'm top dog? We said a short one. That, yeah. That's what I had. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to give it a short answer. And I promise when we come back uh, next, next episode, I'll get that long answer. Right off the bat, that's not true. Uh, there are hierarchies. They are there. They were put there to blunt aggression so that you did not constantly have physical battles over anything that was competitive. They were put there for a reason. Hierarchies mean that. Just look up the definition. That means leadership is not distributed from the top. It flows downhill. Number one animal spends 95% of their time controlling number two. Two does the same to three. Three does the same to four. That is a stable hierarchy. So we don't have to be full-time bosses, full-time dictators and alphas, just like they don't in the wild. We have other things to get done, other things to accomplish. But when it comes down to, hey, a decision must be made, and it must be made, then I am the one who will make that decision, and my will is law. Wow, we're going to talk about that more uh, during our next episode because I can get really, really deep into that, but just on a real shallow surface, your trainer is absolutely wrong. Hierarchies are still there. It has been proven, been proven multiple times. And if you're a trainer, then by golly, you should have been around dogs long enough to have seen it. Already part of before you start giving out advice. Don't give out advice if you didn't open up your eyes during any of your training sessions or you haven't even watched how governments and nations work. We have a hierarchy. No social order exists without a hierarchy. Agonism is the glue that reinforces the tether between dominance and submission. They are there, and there are times in which you need to have the attitude, my leadership will not be distributed. Okay, guys, we're running out of time here. I want to talk to you real quick. Next two weeks, next Wednesday and the following Wednesday, Christmas and New Year's, we will be running pre-recorded episodes. So we will not have a live episode. We'll be coming back 
after the new year. And we're coming with a vengeance. We have a lot of great topics and we're just really going to get after here just a little bit harder than what we have. Not that I felt we've been doing bad. I think we've been doing pretty good. Good nuggets in the shows. But we're definitely going to come with a little bit more of an edge to the show. And because of just stuff like that last question that you had there, Kira. So that being said, I wish all of you safe travels. Don't pet the floppy your dogs in the airport. And we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Have a great one. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 